The mission, should you choose to accept it, is to determine who did it. A man is blind from birth. Who done it? Who made the man blind and who fixed him? This is your mission. Good luck, and please be aware that this message will self-destruct in five, four. Whoa, whoa. Although there will be no imploding messages on this podcast, we will look today to John chapter 9 to answer these questions on today's Bible study podcast. Welcome to another edition of Bible Study Podcast. My name is Justin, and I'm excited to be with you once again as we break into new ground tonight as we enter chapter 9 of the Gospel of John. I hope you've had a great week so far, and I'm glad that you've decided to join me as we make our way through this beautiful journey that is the book of John. I want to extend a warm welcome to those of you who are new listeners, and I want to thank those of you who are regulars for your support and for your prayers. No matter if you are new to the podcast or if you're one of the faithful weekly listeners, you can feel free to contact me at any time at BibleStudyPodcastJustin at gmail.com and I'd love to hear your comments, your suggestions, your questions, and, and even your prayer concerns, so please feel free to take advantage of that. I want to thank the many of you who have been praying for my job situation and ask that you continue to pray as I will be starting my new position as an assistant director of sports ministry at a major church in this area pretty soon and would really appreciate your prayers. Another matter of prayer is one for this ministry. We here at Bible Study Podcast have uh, pretty much decided and made sure that we'll have a booth at Sunfest 2008, which is an all-day Christian concert event at uh, Carowinds Theme Park, which is on the North and South Carolina border. So please be in prayer that the paperwork will go through smoothly, that we'll be able to see many of you on that day, and uh, that hopefully we'll be able to welcome a lot more to this ministry. Uh, that will take place on June 14th, so you know, be prepared. <laughs> So, uh, without further wait, let's approach our Father's throne in prayer. Our dear Father, we, we thank you for the grace you have given us, that we might know you, we might enjoy your presence, and that we might glorify your name. Help us to resist the temptations that our enemy throws against us, and live our lives to carry out your works. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Now, as I mentioned earlier, we're breaking new ground today as we begin chapter 9 of John's Gospel. I'm very excited that we're continuing to move along, and I hope this study's been fruitful for you so far. So with that said, let's jump right into verse 1 of chapter 9. And it's in verse 1 that we see Jesus, who seems to be passing by, notice a man. But this is not just a man, but a man who has been blind from birth. Now why is this important? Well, it's important because it sets up the question the disciples will ask here in a second. See, this man was not blind because he had taken some action recklessly that had caused him to lose his vision. He was not blind as a result of being attacked. No, he was blind by birth. He's never seen. Think for a second about a man who has never seen the light, who's never seen a color. I mean, it seems so hard, so difficult. And I know that there are some of you out there who are listening who are blind, who have been in this man's shoes. And what makes it worse is that he was born that way. You know, he's never had a chance to see. He's never experienced the beauty of a sunset. He's never seen the smile of a child. Nothing. Never seen it. Now, what makes it worse is that in that culture, there was no system to help the handicapped. If you could not work, you were forced to beg for food, for clothes, for shelter, for anything you need, or you just have to do without. 
So the picture of this man is one of a hopeless man, one who has never seen, never lived a normal life, never even had the pleasure of doing the things that most would consider trivial or meaningless. And it's this man that Jesus sees. Now what's interesting is how the disciples see this man. Let's pick up our text here in verse 2 where the disciples ask, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he would have been born blind? Now the disciples apparently see this man as an opportunity to fill in one of their gaps in their harmatology, that is their doctrine of sin. The basic thrust of their question is that if this man is blind from birth, someone must have sinned to cause him to be this way. So whose fault is it? Now let me tell you, this might seem strange, but it was actually a somewhat common train of thought to the Jewish people, as this type of teaching has been found in the rabbinical writings that took place at the time. See, this was based on a principle found in the Jewish law that God does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of their fathers. And, it, and this was taken out of Exodus 34.7. But see, they had taken this to mean that if a person suffered from an ailment or an illness of any kind, it must have been because his parents or his grandparents or he somehow sinned against God. What's funny is that they also kind of developed this thought which had risen through these teachings that the child could have sinned before birth somehow. You know, whether it was as an embryo or in some sort of pre-existent state, almost kind of like a platonic form or, you know, reincarnation view almost. So so there are some, you know, wacky, wacky things going on here that the disciples are hearing and it shows us that, you know, this was not like they were out in left field just goofing around out there. You know, I mean, they're making a claim and asking a question that seems to follow somewhat of a common thought of their day. But it does raise an important question for us to consider as well at this point. Does the fact that someone is suffering from sickness or disability or anything in that order mean that there's some sort of sin that has not been reckoned with? That is, does the fact that someone is sick mean that they must have some sort of hidden sin in their lives? Or even that their parents have some sort of hidden sin in their lives? This is something that we must think about, for, for there are those even in our day who would claim that this is the case. That we pay for the sins of our fathers, or we pay for the sins of our grandfathers in the form of sickness. In the form of, say, blindness, disability. So how Jesus answers this question will be very crucial not only to them, but even to us today, for this very philosophy. And so as we prepare to read Jesus' response in verse 3 through 5, I want you to notice something. Whereas the disciples saw this as a case study for their theology class, Jesus does not approach this man with the same set of ideas. Rather than seeing his problem and analyzing how he got there, Jesus sees the purpose of this man's pain and works to fulfill that. So let's see how he does that, starting in verse 3. And Jesus answered, It was neither that this man sinned, nor his parents, but it was so that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me as long as it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. First, Jesus tells the disciples that both opinions are wrong in this case. He's not blind because of a secret sin he committed or his parents' sin. But the purpose for his blindness is so that the works of God may be displayed in him. Now let's talk about this a second here. Let's see first what Jesus is not saying. Jesus is not saying that this man, or his parents for that matter, are without sin. No, 
he is not refuting that man is sinful, and he's not refuting that sin does not have some effects which are negative. He's saying it wasn't because of an individual sin against God that this man was blind. There's no hidden thing here. You know, see, and that's what Jesus really is saying. He's saying that you're off. While bad things happen in the world because of sin, while sin may be the cause of suffering in our lives, it's not the ultimate reason for suffering. Now, we see here that suffering, that pain, does often serve another purpose in our lives. See, Jesus tells the disciples that this man was born blind so that the works of God might be displayed in him. In other words, Jesus did not view this blindness as punishment for some kind of hidden sin, but rather as a test of the power of God. This would be the method by which the people would learn that God can truly overcome sin in all of its facets, including human suffering and pain. Now, Matt Graham, on his study of the problem of evil on BibleStudyPodcast.org, has covered this topic very extensively, and I really would encourage you to check out his work on the website. But if I could, I'd just like to make a comment here for a moment. Many times, we will do the same thing with pain and sufferings in our lives. We'll, we'll see them as something that is unfortunate, perhaps inconvenient, something that comes as a result of bad things that we've done. And sometimes we'll even get to the point where we will accuse God of being unjust. For why would God allow us to go through these times of hardships? But could I offer you an alternative view? You see, Jesus here says that this man was blind so that the works of God may be manifested through him. That is, that God may be glorified in us and that we may participate in his works among the creation. You see, it's often by the pains and the hardships that we are drawn closer to Christ. As Romans eight seventeen and 18 tell us, If we're children of God, then we're heirs, and we're joint heirs with Christ. And if we suffer with Christ, we will be glorified together with Him. Suffering is what makes us more like Christ. 2 Corinthians 1, 5 runs with this and tells us that as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, the comfort or the consolation in some versions of Christ also abounds in us. The more we go through sufferings, the more we're comforted. In Philippians 1, Paul writes to let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ and to strive for that. And as a result, it will be granted to you not only to believe, but to suffer for him. How is this a reward? You know, this is the reward he's talking about. Well, just as metal is purified through the crucible, the Christian is made holy by suffering and trials. As Isabel Kuhn once said, God does not waste suffering. If he plows, it is because he purposes a crop. I know we've sent, spent a good amount of time on this side road, and I think it's important, though, that it's important for us to realize that suffering is often the vehicle by which Christ is most magnified in us. In fact, as Christians, we should fully expect suffering and pains. Be ready for them. They're coming. But, remember that there is a goal behind it all. And as we go on to verse 4, we see that Jesus has a distinct goal in what he is doing. He tells the disciples that we must do the works of the one who sent me, God, while it is day. That is, while there is still time. This is something that's important for us to remember. There's only a certain time that we have. It's simply not true that we can wait until tomorrow to do this or put off till next year that task. We're just not guaranteed that much time. 
So while it is the day, we must be about doing the works of God. Further, we must be about doing the works of God. Now, I don't want to come across as condescending on this, because I have to deal with it too, but we must remember that our goal is to do the works of God. All too often, I know I fall into the trap of doing things that I really don't need to do when I could be doing work for the kingdom of God. Or I fall into the traps of doing things but not doing them to the glory of God. And I I know it's tough to really draw a line on this topic. And, And really, I would encourage you not to draw a line on the topic. But I want to encourage you to take about 20 minutes this week. You know, just take some time and sit down and think how you spend your time. What is your first priority in your life? What is it that you're putting about first? You know, I know we all have to work. We have to pay for our homes. We have to pay for our food. And I'm not saying quit working. What I'm saying is, what is the first priority in your life? Is your work a higher priority than your relationship with Christ? I mean, do you ever take the time on your job to stop and talk to a coworker about Christ? Do you ever take a break at work and and pray with a fellow brother in Christ or or take the time to encourage them? And we're in a war daily with the devil, with our own sin nature, with the world. We really must work together to be about doing the works of God in all that we do. Not just in our time at church, not just in our you know, hour a week that we set aside for good things, but in everything, in our jobs, in our work. And finally we see that there will be a night that is coming during which no one can work. The Greek literally reads that during this night no one will have the power or no one will have the ability to work. We must keep in mind that the end is coming. And just as the man who is seeking to make as many products to sell before the work day is over, we must be set on doing the works of God with all that we have before it's too late. And then here in verse 5, I, I believe that we see what John is trying to show us in this whole story by putting this story into the pages of Scripture. As Jesus says that while he is in the world, he is the light of the world. I mean, this is the big point. This is the theme of the whole story. And it echoes us back to the previous chapter in John 8, verse 12, where Jesus claimed that he was the light of the world. You see, just as Jesus said earlier, if anyone would believe in me, he would no longer live in darkness, but would have the light of life. See, this blind man in the same light, who has literally never seen the life, he's lived his whole life in spiritual and physical darkness, He's about to discover that Jesus really is the true light of the world. It is Christ's goal and purpose to shine forth with the glory of God to the world. And so in verse 6, we see that Jesus spat on the ground and made clay, out of which he spread some on the eyes of the blind man. Then he sent the man to the pool of Siloam, which John notes for us means sent. And when the man went and washed his eyes, he came back seeing. Please notice two things with me here. The means by which he was healed and the motion which he contributed to the healing action. First notice that Jesus just used what is simple, what's common. It's just dirt, dirt and spit. What does this show us? I know we don't want to read too much into it, but it does show us it's not the dirt, it's not the pool, and it's not the spit that healed the man. No, it's the power of Christ Jesus. Literally, God incarnate. It's His power that heals the man. I think it's funny that God would choose to use the basest things of earth. 
the dirt, spit. You know, I mean, these are things that people would normally shy away from. They'd say they're dirty, they're unclean, they're disgusting. You know, why would you want to spit on the ground and then put your finger in it? It's awful. But it's these things that he used to heal the man. I mean, just as a kind of a side point of interest here, something just for my sake, I believe this should inspire us as well. For if Jesus could even use spit to bring people to himself, surely he can use us. Secondly, notice the motion which the man contributed to the healing action. Jesus told the man to go and wash his eyes in the pool, and he went. I think the original Greek gives us a much better picture here than we get from the NASB, because it kind of says, oh, and so he went the next day. But in the Greek, it tells us that Jesus told him to go and wash in the pool, therefore he went out to the pool and washed. You know, it's much more direct. It's much more uh, solid there. It just says, he told him to go, therefore he went. And it really implies he went then. You know, we must also be prepared to hear the commands of our Savior and to go. And, of course, the change in the man is dramatic, as we see in verses 8 through 12. I mean, we read there that the neighbors who had seen him before sitting and begging saw him walking around and seeing and didn't really know how to respond. I mean, they started asking amongst themselves, Isn't that the beggar? Yeah, that's him. No, it couldn't be him. You know, it must just be somebody that looks like him because the beggar's blind. No, it couldn't be him. And, and this kind of back-and-forth gossiping goes on, but it must have been quite a treat for the man to look at these people, you know, the very ones who had given him money as he had begged, to see them face-to-face for the first time. And he literally had the chance to look them in the eye for the first time in his life and say, yeah, it's me. I was the guy. And what follows is the people asking, how was he healed? And he tells them the story again. And, and so hearing the results of the story and seeing that this man who was blind, without a doubt, he was born blind, seeing he can see because of Jesus, they ask where Jesus is. And the man says he doesn't know. Thus wrapping up our section for today. Now, we've covered a lot of ground today, and and I'd like to encourage you to think about the many things we've talked about. There is a place for pain, and there's a place for suffering in God's program that we must deal with. I mean, it's been said that, how do you make a statue just right? It takes the chisel. You know, and sometimes in our life, we have to deal with that. Sometimes it's by the chisel that we are shaped to be like Christ. But there's also grace for those who, just like this man, believe in Christ. Because Christ seeks to save. So the question is, as it always is when the message of Christ is given, have you trusted in Him? Have you trusted in the name of Jesus to save you from your sins? Do you know the one who seeks to save your soul? If this is something that troubles you, this is something you need to deal with. Please feel free to email me at Bible Study Podcast Justin at gmail.com. But until we meet again, friends, may God bless and keep you. In this trying time, I do. Let's
This lesson has been brought to you by BibleStudyPodcast.org, a paraministry of Clean Slate Evangelical Ministries, which is a nonprofit listener-supported ministry based in Monroe, North Carolina. While our desire is that your primary giving be done with your local church, if the Lord is leading you to support our ministry, we do depend on your support to keep our ministry going and growing. If you feel the Lord calling you to support our ministry, you can go to BibleStudyPodcast.org and click on support on the right-hand side. You can make a tax-deductible donation from there. By doing so, you'll be helping us to reach multitudes of people each and every month from around the world who, just like yourself, desire to find answers and meaning in Scripture. We thank you for listening today, and we pray that the Lord blesses you and draws you closer to Him. Keep growing closer to Jesus. Believe